I'm, I'm so grateful for those who lead us in worship. I don't know if you know our string quartet. I think they're all our high school students. Uh, what a blessing. Just, it is great. And today, I want to especially uh, introduce you to a couple of folks sitting right down here on the front row. Um, you've been watching for this, praying about this, voting on it, and finally we get to begin. So uh, now joining us as our associate pastor of family ministries. That seems like a big job. Family, that's children, that is uh, uh, parents, that's grandparents. Big, big uh, job is, um, and, and, and the last time I'll say it, but Reverend Dr. Chuck Hunt. So, Chuck, if you would just stand, let people see you. Welcome. And sitting next to him, these are not strangers to him. I say right next to him is Ryan, his daughter. Ryan, who got to experience the hat between services. Um, Ryan, I think you're still, are you in middle school still or? Okay, so it's so great to have, and then Shannon, his wife Shannon, welcome. We're just so glad that all three of you are here at last. We've been praying for this for a long time. So now we come back after the uh, holiday season and we're returning uh, to the book of Psalms. Do any of you remember that I was doing a series that we called The Heart Cries? Well, today I'm telling you, uh, we consider a heart cry that I think every Christian has had and continues to have probably every day of our lives. And here it is, this longing for purity of our lives or maybe for faithfulness uh, to God in the way we live. Or if I can just put it more bluntly, this heart cry to just stop sinning. Uh, any, anybody have that willing to admit that you have that heart cry? Six. Uh, and it really brings us into Psalm 119. And if you have a Bible, turn there, and we're going to be looking at just verses 9 to 16, because some, Psalm 119 is the longest book in the entire Bible. Try to memorize it sometime. Uh, what it, re it really includes 22 Psalms, 22 reflections, each one of them having eight verses. And um, it, each one of them is thinking about the beauty and the power of the Word of God, of the, of, of the ways of God. Uh, it, it's an acrostic. Uh, so you know what an acrostic is? It takes each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, because it was written in Hebrew, and each one of those stanzas begins with one of those letters. So there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 psalms. And today we come to the one called Beth. Do you have it, Bait? That's not the name of a woman on there. If you look at above nine, it's the second letter in, in, in the Hebrew alphabet. And in it, we just hear this heart cry that I think is that of all of us, if we're really honest. So let us stand together because we are going to be hearing our Father's word. Psalm 119, beginning with verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. 
I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And this is the word of God. You may be seated. I don't know if you noticed, I tried to read it in that way. In those first two verses, verses 9 and 10, you see the psalmist's own heart cry. How can a young person live on this path of purity by living according to your word? So I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. So when I read this through, it just feels like, and I wonder if you sensed it too, the psalmist isn't just telling us how to live. He's not just preaching us a sermon and telling us what to do. It's his own heart cry. Did you see that? He's the young man who's asking this question, how can I live a life that is pure? Now, in his language, because he was writing in Hebrew, uh, that word pure largely had to do with sexual purity, keeping uh, his mind and his life consistent sexually with what God would have them to do. And I think that that's, do you think that's relevant to us here in Southern California? I really think it's an important thing, and for every one of us, it's a heart cry, I think, for many and maybe for all of us. So it deals with that, but it really is also a bigger word, this word purity, than that. It really is a longing that every part of our minds, every part of our lives will be the way that God would have them to be. And just when I read this and he's, I see that it's his own heart cry, it's clear to me that he's willing to be open enough to confess, Lord, it's not just those people out there, it's me too. I'm still struggling with this. I'm not yet all that you would have me to be. And I just feel like he's asking, Lord, will I ever live a pure life or I'm always doomed, you know, to have to show up in, in worship and say, I've fallen short again of your glory. Now, now, you notice, you might be thinking, some of us who are older, that it's only for those who are younger. So, Ryan, it's not just for, for you, it's, it's for your folks and grandparents as well. Because that word young person in, uh, uh, in Hebrew wisdom literature is really interesting. I, I, I love it. Because what, what the Jewish people th meant when they would write it like this is, there is never going to be a moment that you, that you are younger than you are right now. At this moment, when you sit here, you're as young as you're ever going to be. Does that encourage you or not? <laughs> and, uh, and the whole point of this thing is that if you have this heart's cry and you want your life to be right with God, you need to start today. You know, don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait and say, later on, I'm going to do it. Uh, so uh, here is the psalmist's heart cry. With all of his heart, see that in verse 10, with all of his heart, he wanted to break from patterns of sin. He wanted to walk with God. He's so serious about it that he repeats it there in verse 11. Look at that. God, I've hidden your word in my heart for this reason so that I won't sin against you. So I don't, do you see that? He sees a direct relationship between the word of God and, and living this life of purity. Is that clear to you? Only to a few of you. I'm going to show you again. <laughs> Verse 11, God, I've hidden your word in my heart and with it so that I won't sin against you. So it becomes very clear to me that what the Bible is teaching us is that there is some relationship, clear relationship between the word of God that we're looking at today 
what we do every week when we gather here and actually living the way God made for us to live. So I've been thinking about this a lot, praying about what to say to you, and I boiled down what I want to say to two questions. And, and here, the first one is this. What does it do? I mean, how can God's Word actually do this, to be effective in, in making you and me pure? Because he asked, the answer to the question, how am I ever going to live this kind of a life, is by living according to your Word. So I asked, what, what does he mean by that, by your word? And, and I'm sure of this, that when he says, God's word, there's a word that you have to speak to me that's going to change my life. He is not talking about the word of God being some sort of a uh, magician's incantation, you know, kind of like you show up at church and suddenly you hear God say, abracadabra, be pure, and poof. You walk out and you don't have a single temptation the rest of your life. I'm just telling you, it doesn't work that way. But how does it work? That's the question. So the word of God that he's speaking about here, and as you read through the whole of Psalm 119, you see him reflecting on the word of God as, as the scriptures for him in his day. Mostly he was talking about what we call the Torah, uh, the five books of Moses, uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, and a few of the other books that, of what we now call the Old Testament. But uh, in application to us, I'm sure that what it's saying to us is the totality of the Word of God of Scripture. The 66 books of this Word God has given to us to make a difference in our lives. It, it makes God known to us, but it also teaches us how the God who made you would have you to live. So what he's saying is this. It's, it's like Hebrews 4.12, that this word is, and that phrase, living and active, that if it, 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 it can have its right effect in your life, it can transform and change that. So again, I mean, I came back to this and said, how does that work? It, it can't mean, okay, the more I just study it and read it, the more I pack into my brain, the more perfect I'll be. Because I'll just tell you this. I've met some of the greatest Bible scholars in the world, and some of them aren't living for God at all. You and I can have the Word of God in our head, and it makes no difference in the rest of our lives. Do you know that that's true? So, so the question still comes back. You can see this is, uh, how is this? What does your Word do in our lives? And I've, tried to I've read through Psalm 119 several times, and I've tried to boil down what he says. And these are the three phrases I'll give you. What does it do? One, the Bible helps you to know what is right and what is wrong. What is right and what is wrong. So do you see places like this prayer in verse 34 and verse 37 of Psalm 119, Lord, give me understanding so that only then I can keep your ways and not turn to the worthless things that I'm drawn to so often. So if you read the whole of this longer psalm, you'll find that there's this ongoing, recurring prayer. Lord, give me understanding. Give me understanding. And by that, he means, Lord, I need some insight from you to be able to sort out what's right and what's wrong, what, you know, what's good and what's bad, what's sin and what's not sin. I mean, where do you find that out in this world? What, what, helps, what helps you determine right from wrong? Uh, many sociologists will say we're socialized uh, in our homes and within our culture, but sometimes our homes are, are, are dysfunctional, and sometimes it, that isn't passed on. So, so where do we get a notion of right and wrong? Do you get it from the news media? 
I wonder, do you get it from what you watch or from what you read? Now, Christians, when we gather, we believe there's only one person who is absolutely right and perfect and just in all of his ways, and that's God. And so we open up a text like this, and the thing that we see clearly is God says, just knowing how to live, knowing right and wrong, starts with what I have said in my word. So this prayer, I hope, will be yours too. Lord, uh, as I face the things I'll face today, give me understanding. Only then can I understand your ways and keep them and not turn to, to worthless things. So it, it helps you to know what's right and wrong. Uh, number two, it seems to me also when I read this through, he says when, when this word comes into your life, it will help you to love what is right and hate evil. We're so often drawn to evil, but the word should help you to, to love uh, what God says and hate what is wrong. And so as you see the flow of, of this particular psalm, he says, with my whole heart I seek you, Lord, verse 10, so much so that I, I've hidden your word in my heart, verse 11, and all of that flows into that verse 14. So I rejoice. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Now that whole image of I hide your word in my heart and then I rejoice in it as I rejoice in great riches. It's kind of different from our culture. And I preached about this last fall once. They didn't have banks in ancient Israel. And so when they would have a great treasure, uh, they couldn't put it in the bank. They usually went out and they, they dug a hole and hid it or took it out to the mountains and put it there. Um, my son Brandon and I went out climbing rocks and hiking uh, Vasquez Rocks out there past Santa Clarita just this past week. Do you know anything about that? This Vasquez fellow is something like Zorro or, or Robin Hood. He would uh, take from the rich and give to the poor, but he was known to hide treasures right there in Vasquez Rock. So Brandon and I were looking for treasures. We wanted to meet our budget this year, you know. Uh, so we, we didn't find any. But it made me think about this text that if you have had a treasure, you, you've hidden it and then perhaps have, have lost it and wondered if you found it. When you find it again, there is there's great, great joy. What he's saying here is this. Lord, when I discover how you, my maker, would have me to live, it brings me greater joy than winning the lottery. Only, only oh, two, two of us. Don't you think most people in the world say, well, I, I kind of would rather win the lottery. That would be, that's what it was. So how are we going to get at this thing? I think any of you who have ever had a period in your life when you've walked away from God and experienced what happens and then come back to God, you know what he's saying here. I, I started thinking about when I started out as, as a pastor, um, there was a young man who had grown up in our church, a pretty legalistic home, um, and when he went to college, he wanted to break from all of those rules. And so he, he wanted to make his own decisions and really find a life. And what he did was he, he got into heroin. He got into a group of people there in the university and, and went into a life of that. And the, the whole way of life for him that that led to, a lot of it was also sexual immorality. And eventually he was imprisoned. Uh, involved dealing, dealing with all the, the, that path. And then... Uh, as he came out of prison, came back home and, and returned to the Lord and, and was just so thrilled with this 
gospel message. He'd heard it his whole life, but didn't really believe it, that God's mercy is real and God wouldn't give up on him and God forgave him and would start again with him and also experience some of that in the life of his church. By the way, I just pray that will happen here, that what anybody comes back from whatever, that here we'll just receive them and say, let's, let's start again together. But I remember he came in to see me and he told me some things that I think really connect with this text and I think a lot of you can relate to. He told me that he had always thought growing up in his home that he, that he would someday when he got out of that would be able to find a life that was really exciting and it was worth living. And he thought he would find it when he began using drugs with his other friends. And when he started doing it, it really did bring a, a, a great deal of pleasure at the beginning. But he said, Pastor Greg, that didn't last very long. And soon it turned into a bondage in my life. And then this is what he told me, and this is what I jotted down in my, uh, in my journal. He said, Pastor Greg, I would never have believed it years ago. But when I came back to God, I found great joy whenever I discovered what God said in his word about how I'm supposed to live. I even enjoyed it when you preached it in your sermon. Uh, you know, usually we don't like somebody to tell us how to live, right? We just want to do it ourselves. But if we've gone away and then we come back, it is like a treasure that you find. And that's exactly what the psalmist says here. That, that young man who was in my church, this psalmist, had learned that walking away from God might bring a moment of satisfaction, but it, it doesn't last. I think I've written this down for you. It never satisfyingly satisfies it never satisfyingly satisfied. Have you learned that? That that's when you come back, then you'll understand this text better. I rejoice. Like finding a great treasure. I rejoice in learning how you'd have me to live, Lord. So Psalm 104 really gets at it there. I mean, Psalm 119, verse 104. Lord, I gain understanding from your teaching in your word. Therefore, I, I hate every wrong path and I rejoice in your ways. So it helps you to know what's right and wrong. It helps you to love what is right and, and just to hate what is evil. Number three, and I didn't know how to put this, but I've put it as best I can. The Bible helps you to choose a path that is right when you're tempted to do wrong. You with me here? So that he, he says, the way he begins this thing is, how can a young person stay on a path, a life journey of purity by living according to your word? And what he's looking for is a way of life. Do you see that? A path of life. That every day when you and I go out, we have countless decisions to make, right? And, and sometimes we wonder when we're really strongly tempted to go this way and we think that's wrong, don't you ever have a time you wonder, but what's right? I mean, the Bible doesn't address every specific issue you ever face, but, but the Word does give you those parameters, those moral parameters in which decisions can be made. And, and if we wonder, what are my options, the more you understand the Word of God, the more you understand that. Are you with me here? I, I think you can understand that uh, in, in our families. Pastor Chuck, I mean, all this, I'm just kind of preaching with you here about family pastor. Who is in our families... I think you can understand this. Um, not all of you are yet parents, but I still think you can get this thing. Parents, when you see your children uh, doing what you know is wrong, 
Anybody have that happen in your, your home? Okay. Uh, like your son wanting to hit his sister because he's angry. Uh, what do you do as a parent? Well, the first thing we do and really should do is get them to stop. We got to stop the violence, right? But I tell you, there is a, a, another higher calling that we have in our families, and it's a harder one, but it is a higher calling, is actually whenever uh, uh, one of your children feels that anger or any of those temptations that are so much a part of the path of life that we live, to actually, once the violence is stopped, to sit down and say, now, you're going to feel anger more often in your life. This isn't the only time you're going to find it. How might you otherwise respond? One of the things about good parenting is somehow, and sometimes it's hard to come up with good options, right? I'm just admitting that. But I'll tell you, one of the, 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 the values of good parenting is to help your children to understand the options that they might have. It, it really is teaching them to live their entire lives. When I read this, I see that that is one of the roles that our Heavenly Father wants Scripture to play in our lives. I, I've experienced this so often where, where I felt a temptation to do something that I knew was wrong, and, I, and God's Word helped direct me. I thought of a thousand illustrations. I'm going to give you just one. In, in leadership roles I've been in, sometimes it really bothers me when, when I'm criticized, and especially if I think I've been unfairly criticized for something that I've said or done. My temptation at those points is really uh, to put that other person in his or her place, to sort of lash out, but now in my stage of life, um, in a more sophisticated and educated sort of way, and to really let that person know how rotten they've been. You know, that's, that's my temptation. And I know that's wrong. And so I come back to the Word, and, and there's just several things that just guide me. I mean, Ephesians 4.26, Greg, in your anger, which you're going to have, do not sin. How do I do that, Lord? Places like James 1.19, be slow to speak and quick to listen. So I've tried to learn to do this, and maybe I've dropped some of you notes about this. I try to say, can, can you help me to understand uh, why you responded that way to me. And so many times when, when I've done that, I'll tell you the people who speak back to me tell me things that I needed to hear. I really needed to hear it. And sometimes I just shouldn't accept that. I need to also speak truth back. But how do we speak truth? Does the Bible give us any ways that when we have to say, I've got to challenge you about that? You know, Ephesians 4 also said, when you speak truth, speak truth how? In love. And that doesn't mean just swallow it or sweep it under the carpet. That means you speak the words that you think will bring benefit and blessing to the other person. It's just one of the many, many ways that, that Scripture can help guide you when those human temptations come up. Now, when I use myself as a good example of doing this, I'm not pretending that I'm perfect in this. I am telling you this heart's cry that I find in Psalm 119, it is my own but I'm going to declare to you right now, along with uh, Paul in Philippians chapter 3, uh, I'll confess to you, I have not yet arrived to become all that God would have me to be. But my brothers and sisters, I am pressing on to become what he would have me to be. And one of my deepest heart cries is, Lord, how do you do that? And he says, foundational for that is my word. 
And this is what it does in your life. It'll teach you right from wrong. It'll teach you to love what is right and just hate to do what is wrong. And it'll also help you to give those parameters about how to make decisions. But it brings me to my second question. I still wonder about this, how, how this word makes it from my head into my heart and out into my life. How, how does that happen? Do you wonder about that? Well, I'm going to talk about it anyway. Um, I've got to tell you this right now. It doesn't happen in your own strength. I mean, you can just memorize all the Bible that you possibly can and say, I'm going to do it, and, and, and you, you'll just find that the temptations and your own passions are stronger than your strength to overcome them. And yet, if you're new to church, let me just tell you something that is so hope-giving for us as believers. When you receive Jesus into your life, he gives you what you need to begin to become different. What does he do when you receive Jesus as your savior? First of all, he provides that cleansing and forgiveness of your sins that all of us need. Hallelujah, right? And then more than that, when you receive Jesus into your life, the Bible teaches you, read Galatians 5 and 6, he gives his Holy Spirit, he pours his Holy Spirit into your life, who so many times will convict you of sin and actually empowers you. Uh, to a new, I call it a moral capability. Those things in my own strength that I wanted to do that I couldn't, you begin to find a new strength to be able to do that. So he gives you forgiveness, he gives you his spirit, and he gives us the community of faith. He gives us one another. Because it's just, you just can't do it on your own. But I tell you, foundational to those other gifts is this. His word, you don't even know how to live if you haven't understood and read his word. So once again, it starts there. So again, I, my question is, how, how can I have that thing go from my mind and then deeper into my whole life? So I, I've come up with a formula for you. It's helpful to me. I don't know if it'll be helpful to you, but here it is. Each one of the words begins with the, the letter R. Receive it. Recite it. Rejoice in it. And reflect on it. Amen. So here we go. Receive it. Verse 12. The, the psalmist just walks us through this. Teach me your decrees. So, so there are many ways to receive God's word into your life. One of them is what you're doing right now. That you're supposed, the Bible commands us as his people to gather regularly and worship with one another. I'm glad you're here. And one of the things you've got to do when you gather in, in worship is whoever is uh, speaking is commanded to open the word of God. And, and so it, when you come, uh, the Word of God should be going forth. And if you come and I'm preaching and I just get caught up by telling jokes and stories, which I like to tell, and I've left the Word behind, you know what you need to do? You need to come up and speak the truth in love to me. You may say, stories are okay, but we need to hear a word from our Father. So, so one way is to come and to have this Word heard together with your church family. Beyond that... Uh, I hope you'll find a small group or a class where, where you do more than just read books, where you, where you actually open this word and see what it says and talk about it and apply it to your lives together. If you haven't found a small group like that, we'll help you to find one. At the end of the service, through that connect, underneath that connect banner, you can go and we'll try to help you to find a small group where that can happen. Another thing you can do is simply find a daily time to read the word of God. 
Sometimes you'll come to a part of God's word and you'll say, what relevance does that have in my life? I've, got to t- I've been do- at this for 50 plus years. Over and over again, I'll read a text in the Bible and I'll think, well, what relevance does that have to me? And on that day, something will happen that that word speaks directly into. A- anybody else, any nods here? Three or four of you at least. So to read it on your own daily is so important. And obviously one of the things when he talks about hiding the word in your heart is some of the key passages of Scripture to memorize them really goes deep and, and, and comes back to mind in some of the hardest times of your life. So receive it. Then what he says as you get to verse 13 is recite it. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. So from God's lips through ours. I tell you, I cannot overemphasize what a difference it makes when you actually speak the word of God that you have heard or read. So often it's when you encourage somebody else or when you give witness to somebody else. Uh, when, you, when you speak it, it becomes more real to you personally. And I'll tell you, it's not just speaking it. One of the ways it can come across your lips that really has made a difference in my own life is when you sing Scripture. And if you've ever done that, you know that the music helps cement that in your mind. And, and what you can do is, uh, I was going to give you a whole bunch of ways to do this, but I'll tell you that we have different tastes in music in this church. And if you'll go on to a search mechanism and just put Scripture songs, I bet you can find some music you actually like that is set to Scripture. And when you sing it, it, it just really becomes a part of you. Um, in, my, in our family, in Chris and my family, we found this one, when our kids were children, we found this wonderful group of, uh, of CDs that were scripture songs set to music for children. It was called GT and the Halo Express. I put the website up here for you. It's an older style of music. There must be, check, there must be newer stuff that, that we can help you to find. But, but I still like this. And I can still remember all the verses in those songs. And uh, so uh, my daughter Heather found those CDs, and she plays them all the time for my three grandchildren. And it was so much fun when they were with us this time to sing some of those songs together. I'm just telling you, this reciting it through speaking it and singing it, it makes a difference. What else? Receive it, recite it, rejoice in it. Look how he puts it. Verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes. Verse 16, God, I delight in your decrees. The attitude with which you approach Scripture uh, makes all the difference in the way you receive it. I mean, you understand this. If you're really mad at your mom and dad, and then they come up and you're angry with them already, and they say, this is what you've got to do, it just makes you angrier, right? But if there's a relationship of love that you have with one another and trust, when that counsel comes, you think, ah, that They love me and they want the best for me. You receive it differently. The same thing is true of the Word of God. If you come into church and I open this Word and you love the Father and you want to hear His Word, no matter how bad I speak, when the uh, Word of God goes forward, you're going to want to hear it and respond to it. The more you rejoice in it, the more you're going to be ready to obey it. So, So receive it, recite it, rejoice in it, and then take time to reflect on it. Verse 15, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. That that means that when you've heard the word or read it, 
that you need to take a, some time to go over that word in your mind and to think through, how does that apply to the situations that I am facing right now? And when that happens, you begin to find the Lord directing you and guiding you. And let me tell you, when he does, he doesn't do it in a way that ruins your life. When God guides you, he guides you in a beautiful way. He is your maker who loves you with an everlasting love. His word is given that you too might rejoice and find blessing. Now, I've been thinking all week, how can I make this real? And so I thought, ah, I've seen the effect of the word of God in so many people in this church. And a lot of people came to mind, and um, there's one who just stood up. That <laughs> One person I immediately thought of was Denny Repco. I'm not sure not all of you know him, but I pray that you will come to know him. <clears throat> I can't make you the example of perfection, Denny, because Carolyn will come up and tell me otherwise. But uh, there are several things I want to say. First, Denny was on the search committee that brought Chris and me here. I don't know if that makes you happy about him or not happy about him. But One of the better decisions <laughs> in my life. <laughs> The other thing I want to say, Denny, for so much of his life, has been involved in many ministries, but one of them, uh, the Navigators. And Navigators Ministry has been so instrumental all around the world in universities, in the military, at helping to mentor people in the Word of God and, and to have people learn the Word of God. And so I, I thought of him, but mostly, Denny, I, and I hope this encourages you, as I've watched you over these 10 years again and again, I see your love of this word. I see your love of the church. I see how the joy of Christ just radiates through you to so much of us. So I just thought I wanted to talk with you about this a little bit. So thank you for being willing to do this with me. So let's just start. How did this begin with your love of Scripture and maybe even this memorizing the hiding of this in your life? Had a great church background. Grew up in a little Bible preaching church, exciting pastor. He made the Word of God alive to us. And uh, early on, I felt the Lord nudging me to give him more of my life. And so as a freshman in Bible college, uh, I was tapped by a lofty senior. And he said, Denny, you need to be involved with those guys over there. They love the word of God, and they're really trying to live for Christ. So the Lord used this man to touch my life, a little bit like your noble teachers who weren't, you know, exemplary. It, I find out that he wasn't even walking with the Lord at the time, but the Holy Spirit used that to connect uh, my life with a bunch of other peers, other students who were excited about living for Christ, and scripture memory was huge. It was really a very uh, important ingredient of what we were doing together. This is really the fourth time that Denny and I have talked about this, so <laughs> both the call and then all the services. And it's this consistent message of finding others who have a shared love of God's Word and a community of people is just so important. You were 18, that was about, what, 10, 15 years ago, yeah, right, yeah. That, that that has happened. I wanted to show you here this matter of hiding the Word and, and a part of that being memorizing. There are tools that weren't always available all of our lives, Danny, but, but are now. And one of them that I've started using, I started using last fall, is a, a Bible app that you can find. And the one that I really like, there may be better ones, it's called Remember Me. The downside of it is that it costs $2.99. And some of them are free. But I, I've really uh, found this very, very helpful. And uh, I've, I've decided now I want to 
be memorizing the Bible again. Maybe it's to uh, ward off dementia, but I'm hoping some of what happens in the Bible will, will happen in my life. But here we have uh, the link to that. Uh, navigators that Denny was involved in, navigators.org, wonderful tools. And, and what's called the Topical Memory System, TMS, that I know was a big part of your life. And they're just wonderful information and tools in, in the Navigator's website. And in my home, my, my mom had this Bible memory box, kind of the old-fashioned way, just different verses that you could do. They're, those still exist. They really do, and, and, and they're good. And I put one link to one, the, the uh, simplycharlottemason.com. Those are just some ways that you might do this. Now, Denny, I want to get to this, this point, too, that I made, that sometimes we think that memorizing or reading the Bible should be like a, a magic formula. And yet, as, as you've said and as I said, we know people who know the word well, and it just stays in their head. It really is possible to have in your head and not in your life. Do you have any uh, thoughts about how it can make it from your head into the whole of your life and change you? It, Anything you can contribute to that? I think the trials of life itself. We're trying to live for Christ. And as a young man, that verse, verse 9, wherewithal, how in the world will a young man cleanse his way but by taking heed to thy word? Thy word have I hid in my heart that might that I might not sin against thee. And so I think the very difficulties of life uh, will be helpful to remind me daily of my need for the word of God in my life. We sang about it in the hymn this morning. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave. Spiritual drift, Hebrews 2.1, is something I'm very concerned about in my life. It's so easy to just drift away from that which we know we should be doing. Yeah, and one of the things I think I downplayed a little bit is this text and what it says about uh, a sexual bondage and, and the, the need that we need to have to have liberation from that. And, and you sense that also yes. in your early days. I think that's actually what attracted me. I was in a great young people's group back home, but I think that's what's attracted me. Now I'm 18, and man, I'm beginning to notice those pretty girls at Bible school, and, and there was this desire to be pure. And I think that was something that was important and it drew me to the group. And I learned, I wouldn't have even done scripture memory very well on my own, I'm sure. But we were together in this. And as iron sharpens iron, so we sharpened each other. And we were growing together in Christ. And, and you went from Bible school on to Sweden. And that was a little bit of a yes. different culture, right? Yes. And, and so now, you know, trying to be this godly man and, and a, a man to impress my wife, Carolyn. And I've got four kids and we're in Sweden. And I'm a young missionary to college students there. And, and I'm still struggling with this purity thing. And my little kids, Swedes thought they'd invented sex back in the 60s. I said, Lord, what did you do sending me there? Well, anyway, one morning in my quiet time, Proverbs 28.13 exploded off the page. It says... He who conceals his sins, covers them up, will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Wow. I began to pray, Lord, who do I see it? No more excuses, Denny. Who do I dare confess this to? And I'm thinking about all these guys. And the Holy Spirit said, psst. 
How about Carolyn Repco? As oh, 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 Lord, you don't mean Carolyn. And, and you know, I'm trying to impress her. Well, you know, the Lord was very patient. And some days later, I said, okay, Lord, if you really mean Carolyn, I want three, we're living in a three-floor walk-up apartment in Sweden. I want three green cars parked across the street tomorrow morning. Almost that ridiculous. And so I get up the next morning, and I look at, out the window to see if the three green cars are there. And sure enough, there are two green cars. But Lord, that one looks a little teal green to me. <laughs> And so, by God's grace, one night, as we're going to sleep, I leaned up on my elbow, and I said, Honey, the temptations to look at things I shouldn't be looking at are killing me. I need your help. And it began. Lord honored that verse. And then I moved on, because it wasn't fair to Carolyn to leave it with her. And, you know, she, it wasn't going to work if she's going to be my mother confessor. And I moved on to the young men in my ministry. I said, you guys grew up here. It may not bother you, but I'll tell you, it's, it's really good. And I need your help. And we prayed together about it. And I'm still in touch with one of those guys uh, actively to this day. And so it's a pilgrimage, isn't it? Yeah. To, to in the pain and the desire and the joy of living for Christ is to let the word become sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing to right to the th where the thoughts are in our heart yeah. and, and, and its power. Yeah, Denny, that's the last thing I just want you to say a word about. Uh, so many people, and I think in, in SoCal, we, we think, many people think, ah, but if I have to live, you know, the way the Bible says, it, it, it's going to wreck my life. No thought that there would be this great joy in it. Here you are, after all these years of walking with the Lord, and one of the things that just characterizes your life is this joy in living for God. What, what can help us with that? What can you say to us? Uh, that will convince us that there's really joy in living this way. And you know, uh, it really is the greatest joy in life. Matthew 4, Matthew 4, 19. I used to think of that as a Sunday school f verse. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That is the greatest adventure in life. I've had an adventure between the first service this morning and this, of the Holy Spirit leading me to a little humble brother following me out. Into the, I was going to go up and pray with King's Careers. And, and he needs prayer right now for healing in his life. It's the greatest adventure in life to be equipped by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, by his word, and let us, him lead us. And then as we continue to humbly walk with the Lord and with others, men need men to live for Christ. Uh, it begins to happen. It begins to happen. Just this thought about from here to here. Doss Trotman, the founder of the Navigators, dynamic man, loved him. And uh, one of the bright young men, in fact, it was a, a man who first taught me at Northwestern, proud, you know, World War II Navy sailor. He came to Doss one day and he said, Doss, I've got a thousand verses memorized. Doss wasn't impressed in the least. He said, okay, now how about a few of them beginning to get down into your heart and life? 
And so I think it's through suffering, I think it's through many confessions uh, that, that it happens. And we don't do it alone. We do it in the company of like-minded men. And women, I'm and women. need that too. Yes, yeah. <laughs> when I came here uh, 41 years ago, uh, Kent Tucker invited me within a year to join a, a group of men. And some of you oldsters will recognize these names, Carl Garby, Dave Schulteis, Kent Tucker, and myself. Later, the rookie joined us, Bill Podley. And we were together weekly, weekly, trying to help each other live for Christ. And in time, during those 12 years, you know what happened? We began to love each other. And as we loved each other, we felt safe with each other. And as we felt safe with each other, we knew we dared to ask for support where we needed it most, where those temptations were. And then there was accountability. There was no sympathy. It was, okay, let's shape up, Repco. You shared that three months ago. What are you doing about that? And what a privilege to grow together with those men in Christ. And I'm still part of them. I'm still part of them. We meet now. We live in three different states. We meet twice a year, and sometime during that weekend, I know that the, Carl Garvey's with the Lord, but sometime during that weekend, I know those beady eyes are going to rest on me, and they're going to say, no baloney, Repco. How are you really doing in your walk with Christ? Have you looked at anything inappropriate in the last six months? That is loving accountability, and I need it in my life. And so do we all. Thank you so much, Danny. Thank you so much for sharing your life with us. Oh, so I'll, just, I'll just end with this. So this psalm, you see it, is about a heart cry that I think every one of us has as a believer. I mean, how do I live for God? And God says, I love you, and I've given you all sorts of things. I'll give you forgiveness of sins. I'll give you my spirit. I'll give you one another, but it all starts with making sure you understand how I'd have you to live. I'll give you my word. So I want us to have this pledge that ends this, this uh, particular psalm. It's in verse 16. This pledge that he makes in which he says, Lord, I will not neglect your word. Will you say that with me? Lord, I will not neglect your word. And I pray he'll use it in your life to produce something that brings glory to him. Amen. Let, let me lead us in prayer here. Thank you, my brothers. Father, I, I pray that we've been faithful to your word. Do what you always do when it goes forward. Make it living and active in each of our lives. Father, for anyone who's come who doesn't know you and the beauty of walking with you, I pray that today they might come to faith in Jesus. For the rest of us, Father, who sometimes fail to re remember how you would have us to live and the, and the power that you give us to do so and the joy that comes in it, may this be a time for each of us of recommitment to you, to your church, to your word. So use this in our lives. Change us through it. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Dwayne and Jeremy have found a great song. It's a, it's a prayer, really. I'd like us to stand and sing this. Make this your prayer as we sing it together. <laughs>